Our topic today, Revelation 18 and 19, the fall of Babylon and two suppers. We'll cover two chapters, starting in verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now again, Revelation is full of symbolism, uh, and certainly God can have an angel come down that's so bright, and he just illuminates the earth with his glory. Um, but I think it's more of the illumination of God's word, giving honor to God and teaching God's truth that illuminates or educates or teaches or um, inspires the world, right? The gospel going to all the world, right? When this gospel is preached in all the world, then the end shall come. And we'll see that's what is in these two chapters, the end of the world. Um, and so God could use an angel, but he could have used an angel at any time. But he chooses to use us. That's been how he's been doing it down through the ages. And I believe that's what he'll do in these last days. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean bird. Right? And that's part of the message that God has called us to preach. God preach God's truth, preach the Lamb and to preach uh, God's glory in heaven, but also to warn people of Babylon, the falsehood, and that it is fallen, right? And so in order for something to be fallen, it says fallen twice, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. In order for it to be fallen, what position did it have to be before it fell? Upright, right? Standing upright, upright. And so it was at one time in a good position, and it has fallen. And we saw that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that before the coming of the day of the Lord, a falling away would happen first, and the man of sin would be revealed before the coming of the Lord, right? And so we're before the coming of the Lord, we're here in these last days, but a falling away has happened. So Babylon has fallen. Babylon's confusion, right? The confusion of the world, mixture of truth and error, uh, mixture of doctrines, and that is the problem, right? When, when Satan, in the, as the serpent, came to Eve, he quoted God, and yet he insinuated his lie. Same thing when he tempted Yeshua in the wilderness. He was quoting the Bible. He was quoting the scriptures, and yet with his own little twist to it, or leaving portions out, right? And so it's truth mixed with error that Satan uses, and that's a definition of Babylon. Babylon comes from Babel when the languages were confused. So we got this confusion of doctrines, this infiltrating of truth and error, so we had God's truth being proclaimed, uh, coming out of the dark ages. Truth upon truth was being revealed. We looked at that here. We, we saw why there's so many different religions, why there's so many different denominations within Bible-believing religions, the Bible-believing religion, religion, and how they were growing and coming into the light and coming out of the darkness and God adding truth upon truth with each different reformer. But now it's saying it is fallen, right? So it's going backwards. It's going back to where it originally was in the Dark Ages, going back to taking on the teachings of where it came out of, of the, of the woman riding on the beast, right? The mother of harlots with the daughters going back, falling backwards, where they once came out of, and now they're falling back. They're falling down. And thus has become this habitation of demons and a cage of unclean and hated birds, of false doctrines infiltrating where truth was proclaimed. Verse 3, 
For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So again, this is kind of similar. Again, Revelation repeating itself. We saw this in Revelation 17. The woman riding on the beast and all the kings of the earth committing fornication with her. And fornication, again, is this mixing together. How do we fornicate against God? Right? God talks about his bride or his people um, fornicating against him. Right? In a sense, spiritual fornication. How did, how did Adam and Eve spiritually fornicate against God? Being unfaithful, right. So choosing to listen, choosing to obey someone else. And there are really only two parties, God and the devil. So when they chose to not listen to God and chose to listen to the devil, they made God, the devil their authority, chose to marry him in a sense, commit adultery with him. That's where the Bible talks about at times Israel was committing adultery against him when they were getting together and Baal worship and other type of things. And so this mixture of false doctrines coming in. And so when we choose to disobey God, when we choose to sin, when we choose to listen to the devil rather than God's word, we are committing this type of spiritual fornication. And so they drunk the wine, drinking the false doctrines, the, the woman riding on that beast, clothed in scarlet and purple and gold and precious jewels, had in her cup, right, this um, wine that caused all the kings of the earth to get drunk with. False doctrines, false teachings. Verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. So God is exposing Babylon, revealing Babylon, revealing the confusion in the world, the worldliness mixed with religion. And we look here in this country, still polls today, still 70 to 80% of people in this country in America still saying they believe in the Bible. And yet, who are all these ones that are buying all these drugs and, and, and watching all these X-rated movies and, and, and pornography and, and other type of stuff that goes right against the Bible? If not, at least some of those who are part of that 70, 80% that say they believe in the Bible. And so we have this mixture going on. So he said, God's calling us to come out of that Babylon, come out of the confusion, come out of sin, come out of sinning, and come into God's light and come into God's truth all the way. Not part, part in one foot in one uh, bucket and another foot in the other bucket, but to come out all the way and to choose to walk in God's way. No longer sitting on the fence, no longer half and half, no longer on the devil's side, but coming fully out and following God's truth. Right, and as we shared why there's so many different denominations, again, each truth was being revealed, but God wanted everyone to continue to grow with the truth. And yet, as a truth was revealed, a, group, a portion of that group said, no, we're staying right here. Even though more light is being revealed, we like it where we're at, and we'll stay right here. And so God revealed more truth, and so some went into that. And then God revealed more truth and more truth and more truth as he come, continue to come into his truth. And so God's calling us to come all the way, not just halfway, not just portion of the way, but to come out, otherwise we partake of the plagues. So to come fully out of Babylon, into full God's light. And so people wonder, so why are there so many different numbers? It's because basically we don't all agree, right? That's why it is. Everyone thinks they have a better way of make pizza. 
you know, or a better burger, right? That's why there's different restaurants, right? And so there's different congregations all over the place because each one feels it has different light than the other guys, different truth to reveal or a different way of revealing it. And so if we're going all over the place or listening to different preachers online or on, on TV or on radio that's teaching all different stuff and they're not in agreement with each other and you have that mixture together in our minds, what do you call that? It's a form of confusion. It's a form of Babylon. But we need to forsake what is error and accept God's truth as God reveals it step by step by step, growing in his light, growing in his truth. Verse 5, for the, her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities, rendered to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxurious, luxurious, luxuriously. Hey, I can't get that. Anyway, lived a whole fancy rich lifestyle, right? In the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. So she has no guilt. She's sitting there, I'm okay, and I am no widow. I am no widow. Now, why does she say she's no widow? If she's not a widow, what does that mean? If someone's not a widow, what does that mean? What are they saying? Still married. Yeah, still married. My husband has not died. I'm still married. I'm still a believer. I'm still under the name. I'm still under his name. The Bible talks about 10 women saying they, they want to be under his name, but they want to wear their own apparel and eat their own food. We want to live the way we want to live, but we just want your name. And that's what she's saying here. I, I'm still okay because I'm still under this guise. I'm still under this name. I still profess to believe in the Bible. I still profess to follow the Bible, even if my life and actions don't follow it. I'm not going to see any sorrow. No judgment's going to come to me. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. There's no judgment. There's no sin. There's no right. There's no wrong. Laws have been done away with. It's just under grace, just under mercy. God loves us. God loves us. That's all that matters. I'm not going to see any judgment. I'm a sitting as a queen. I'm married to him. Now, if she's also not a widow, then that means her husband has not died. And yet Yeshua has died. And he died for our sins. He died to pay the punishment for our sins. So there is sin, there is right, there is wrong. If he could have just wiped out the law of God, then there's no need for him to die. There's no punishment for sin if he can just wipe out the law, because if there's no law, then there's no sin. But that's not what he did. He took responsibility and paid the price so that his law can be established and maintained and upheld. He has forgiven our past. And then he pours out his spirit upon us so that he can transform us and change us. Not just sitting as a boastful widow. But if we remain attached to the false doctrines, then we will receive the same plagues, the same problem, rendered to her just as she rendered to you. We will be repaid double for her works. With her, come out of Babylon is the call. Verse 6, therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, 
for strong is the Lord God who judges her. God does judge. And he judges based on right and wrong. And right and wrong is based on the word of God. It's based on the Bible, including what he wrote in stone. Immovable, unchange, unchangeable. Her plagues come in one day. Now, whether that's a prophetic day, now these events haven't taken place yet, right? Almost all of Daniel and Revelation has already taken place. But now we're here at the very end, and these are just some of the last things that need to take place. This final judgment upon Babylon. Babylon's already falling. And now we get to this final judgment portion. And it happens in one day. So whether that's a prophetic day, which would mean her judgments of plagues come over a year period of time, and whether that's the seven last plagues that we read about in, what was it, Revelation 16, I think? Or just some other plagues or just other calamities that are happening. It's part of that God's judgment. So it could take a year or it could be referring to a day as if a short period of time or you know, in that day type of a thing. We'll see. We'll see. And she'll be utterly burned with fire. For the Lord judges her. This is similar to what we saw in chapter 17. The ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So she's sitting on the beast, the beast with the ten horns, and it, the beast turns on her. So you got the religious and the political mixed together. And the political aspect and these kings of the earth that have committed fornication with her will turn on her and devour her, will make her desolate, make her naked, eat her, and then burn her. I don't know how it can eat her and then burn her. What's left to burn? It's eaten and devoured her. It's in his stomach. And again, this is symbolism. This is revelation. You know, people who try and make it literal, you know, it makes for fanciful movies, but it doesn't make logic. Now, obviously, there are portions of Revelation that are pretty literal, but it's how we look at the Revelation, how we look at the Bible. We look at Revelation as primarily symbolic, and then we find the answers to the symbols. Where? Where do we go to find the answers to the symbols, the definition of the symbols, the interpretation of the symbols? In the Bible. So we go from the rest of the Bible, and Revelation is something like 80 or something percent quotes and analogies from other parts of the Bible. So we go to the rest of the Bible to understand the rest of the Bible. So again, if the first part of the Bible is old, done away with, not important anymore, then we won't understand Revelation. So we go to the rest of the Bible to understand it, the spiritual application. Unless something is very clearly, literally said. That's how you look at Revelation. You need to go in with that aspect, that it's primarily spiritual, primarily symbolic, and understand the symbols to understand the reality that it's talking about. It's clothed or written in code. And God gives us the understanding of the code. But if we come into Revelation with the assumption that it's literal and chronological, and only some portions that are obviously, you know, really fanciful uh, symbols, then again, we'll come up with the wrong interpretation. We need to come expecting it to be symbolic and to find the interpretation for it instead of expecting it to be literal. And the same with the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible, like let's say the Gospels, we look at those primarily literal, unless it's very clearly symbolic, like, like a parable that Yeshua is telling. And then we have to understand that in the symbolic form that it's meant in. And so how we look at Revelation will determine how we will understand it. 
and whether we all understand it correctly or wrongly. So here again, obviously, and, and here she's burned with fire in chapter 17. And then she's burned with fire again in chapter 18. How could you be burned twice? If it's chronological. But it's not chronological. Revelation is cyclical. It's repeating itself over and over and over again. Daniel 2, and then it's repeated again in Daniel 7, and then repeated in other chapters of Daniel. So each portion going back and reviewing with more details. So we come into understanding Daniel and Revelation from the aspect that it's chronological. And again, the beast is, 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 is judged seven or eight, nine, ten times. Over and over again. Burned and burned and burned and burned. But if we look at it as repeating itself, we come up with a better conclusion. So it's how we come to it and how we look at it. That's very crucial and important. And especially when they try and make it chronological and take it all and squeeze it all into seven years. And seven years at the end of time. Instead of historically. So, here again, chapter 17 is telling us that this part of this fall... They're, they're committing fornication with her. They're matching with her. They're loving her. This unity together, this world unity together. And then it all falls apart. And they turn on her, eat her flesh, and burn her. Back to Revelation 18 and verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. And when they see the smoke of her burning... Again, burning. She's burning again. They ate her, burned her, burned her. Standing at the distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. So verse or so before it said, In one day the plagues will come upon you, but in one hour your judgment has come. And again, that can be just talking that very quickly. The last day events will be rapid ones. Or it can be, again, the symbolism, year for day principle, and thus it'd be about two and a half weeks that the judgment, the final judgment taking part, a play on her, the, the turning on her and the collapse of the whole thing taking place within just a two-week period of time, which again, very rapid. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys her merchandise anymore, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple and scarlet, silk and scarlet, Every kind of citron wood and every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon and incense, frankincense and, and franken, a fragrant oil and wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and bodies of souls of men. Right? So they stop buying from her. She's talking about a financial collapse taking place. So they turn on her, they hate her, eat her, strip her naked, expose her, burn her, and also stop buying with her. It's a whole financial. No one's buying their merchandise anymore. So people say there's going to be a financial collapse. You look at the Bible and go, oh, yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> now, if they're predicting it's going to be on a certain day, on a certain Rosh Hashanah, and it came and it went and it never took place, you can say, oh, they didn't know what they were talking about. And maybe they don't know what they're talking about at all regarding prophecy. But yes, there will be a whole financial collapse of the systems as we know it now. Verse 14, the fruit that you're so longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, 
and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed with fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Right? So again, same analogy, talking, taking us back to Revelation 17, that woman riding on the beast, clothed in purple, scarlet, adorned with gold, and precious stones and pearls. Talking about the same. Here it's referred to as Babylon. There it's referred to as a woman. So here it's referred to as a city, there it's referred to as a woman, right? So it's a, but it's different analogies, but it's talking about the same thing. Again, over and over again. You get different aspects of it, different descriptions of it. Different descriptions of its destruction. Burned, devoured, eaten, trampled, stone coming and crashing it and destroying it. You know, all these different analogies. Is that going to happen all these different ways? The stone's going to be coming and beast eating it and fire burning or just saying it's going to be destroyed. I think it's just going to be destroyed. Verse 17. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaker and all the tra travel by ship, sailors and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of a burning, saying, what is like this city, this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, she is made desolate. So three times it says one hour, which I think is significant. It's repeating it, just like Babylon's fallen, fallen two times. Now here, three times in one hour. So again, either very rapidly, indicating that over and over again, or that in two weeks, the whole thing just totally collapses. All type of trade and merchandise and travel, everything just collapsing and falling apart, which makes sense because we read in Revelation 16, again, uh, I believe it was, where the Euphrates River is dried up, right, in the sixth plague. And we saw that as, again, symbolic, not a literal Euphrates River drying up. That already happened as a literal Euphrates River went through Babylon and Cyrus dried it up so that he can march his army inside and Babylon fell. And so that literal referring to the spiritual at the end, the support system. Babylon was supported by the water. If you don't have water, you're in big trouble. And so the support system dries up, and that's what we're seeing here. They turn on her, they weep and wail, and not going to buy from her. Everything collapses. The support system dries up, which brings about the fall, which brings about the collapse. And in Revelation 16, when it said the Euphrates River dries up, it prepares the way for the kings of the east to come. And that's not China or Russia, but again, that's the coming of the Lord. And we're going to see that in just another few verses. So again, repeating itself. The analogy is repeating itself in chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 18, 19. And we can go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Daniel. Same repeating itself. That God wants us to understand this and get it right. That's why he repeats it and repeats it. Plus there's different aspects of it he wants us to understand. Verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Right? And so if he's avenging her on us, then there must have been this persecution, which we've read in other parts. So we, this deliverance, so we can rejoice now, because it's fallen, it was, persecution was taking place, and God has delivered us. He steps in, so his deliverance comes. The whole system is dried up. Its supports dries up. 
and thus God's deliverance, his final deliverance for his people comes and takes place. And again, simultaneously, fall of the wicked and deliverance for God's people. Revelation 18, verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city, Babylon, shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of the harpist, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman or any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. Right? Complete, total. Ship masters and purchasers and musicians and everything ending. Verse 23, and the light of the lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride shall not be heard in you anymore, for your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. Again, talking about martyrs, martyrs from the past and martyrs in the last day, and again, persecution, and thus the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain on the earth found in her. So again, we have this persecution, fall, God's people delivered, God steps in, voice of the bridegroom, verse of the bride will not be heard anymore. That's quote out of Jeremiah. And for by your sorcery, all nations were deceived. By your sorcery. Again, 70, 80% of the people professing to believe in the Bible. And yet, who's buying all the Harry Potter books? Who's going to all the crystal ball readers and all the witchcraft? Witches go back about 150 or so years ago, 200 years ago. I don't know how long ago here in this country. What would they do to witches if they found a witch? What would they do? Burn her. Yeah, now I'm saying that's a good thing. But the difference has taken place. Now they make TV shows. Even when I was a young king, bewitched. And all these, you know, witches are now nice and pretty and and, and even more so now, they make her even better and, and more accepted, and, and then people desire it. Libraries and schools encouraging kids to read books with sorcery and witchcraft in it. By your sorceries, all the nations were deceived. So again, this mixing, believe in the Bible and read Harry Potter. Or go to movies or TV shows or other books that teach and encourage Witchcraft, sorcery, crystal balls, palm readings, horoscopes, all other kinds of horrible things, and mixing it together. Maybe not in the same day, maybe not in the same plate, but one foot in one, one foot in the other. Come out of Babylon, come out of these confusions. Now the word sorcery there in Greek is the same word that we get pharmaceutical from. It's also drugs, by your, the drugs, by your pharmaceuticals, by your, all the nations were deceived. And we see that happening too. For every little ailment, here's a drug. And of course, every drug has a side effect. And every drug affects the brain in some way, shape, or form. And so we're encouraged to take drugs. I remember my grandmother, after my grandfather died, she went to the next doctor's visit, or next scheduled regular checkup, and he asked how she's doing, and she said, oh, I'm feeling you know, down, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed. And so he recommended, he prescribed some antidepressants for her. 
Well, it's normal and natural to be depressed if your spouse of over 50 years died. <laughs> you don't need to treat that. You don't need to drug someone up so they don't grieve properly. It's normal and natural to be sad when we experience losses like that. And you work your way through it. You grow through it. But we, that's our system. We just drug people up. Instead of treating the body holistically and healthfully, we're just prescribing drug, drugs. Drugs and drugs and drugs for everything. Child is a little drumpy, uh, drumpy give, him, uh, give him some drugs. And not just the pills, the over-the-counter drugs. Tobacco, caffeine, alcohol, lots of marijuana is becoming legal in a lot of places. Drugging us up and deceiving the world. If our brain is not clear, then how are we going to understand God's word? How are we going to receive the messages of the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts and minds? So Satan is deceiving the world by drugging us up and getting us to buy into all kinds of satanic sorceries. And that's exactly what the Bible predicted long before there were any of these drugs like we have today in situations like we have today to the extent it has today. But God predicted it. He saw it. He saw it down to our age and knew it. Now it's chapter 19, verse 1. So that was the fall of Babylon, what happens to the wicked, eaten and burned. Now chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of the servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. So a review of what we just read, right? The, the martyrs and the persecution and the fall. And in heaven, all the angels and everyone around God's throne are praising God because of his judgments that he judged. Judgment is part of God's love. And righteousness. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the sound of the great multitude and the sound of many waters as the sound of the mighty thunder saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And we read of some of these Four, 24 elders and four living creatures back in the beginning of Revelation. Praising God around God's throne. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So the Marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride has made herself ready. So what is the Lamb waiting for? What is the bridegroom waiting for? Has he got cold feet? That he doesn't want to have the marriage? That he doesn't want to have the supper? The caterer is not ready yet? The table's not set yet? What is he waiting on? Us. He's waiting for the bride to get ready. And the bride is the one sitting there. Oh, I got to make my hair a little better. Oh, my dress is a little wrinkled. Oh, I got to go polish my shoes. Oh, I'm not ready yet. 
has spot and wrinkles. But when God's people come out of Babylon, not only the spiritual confusion, not only the theology, but out of sin. Leave the devil and follow God wholeheartedly, 100%. And thus is then covered and stand before God who is able to keep us from falling and present us without spot or wrinkle before the throne of grace. Clean and bright. The righteous acts of the saints. As God saves us, he forgives us, he cleanses us. And then he causes righteous acts to be lived out through us. It's his righteousness that covers us. It's his righteousness that clothes us. And it forms and creates righteous acts to be lived out of us. Even if we're taught, oh, well, you know, we're sinners and we're just going to continue to sin. We need to strive harder. We need to continue to strive. We need to continue to try. We're never going to attain it, but we've got to continue to try. And I've heard that way too many times. It's crazy. Then why try? It's like being a hamster on a, on a little wheel. Just keep trying. Just keep running. Just keep running. Just keep running. You're never going to attain it, but just keep running. No, he is able to give us victory. When we tell an alcoholic, well, you know, you're just going to be an alcoholic the rest of your life and you're going to keep drinking and keep on falling and keep on losing your job and showing up late and beating your wife, but just keep trying and just keep confessing and God will keep forgiving you. No, we tell him God can give you victory over that stuff. And if he can give us victory over that, he can give us victory over gossip and give us victory over anger and bitterness and resentment and pride. He can give us victory over all things. Because his blood is powerful enough to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And his Holy Spirit is powerful enough to come inside us and live in us and out of us. His holiness. Giving us victory to victory. And so when God's bride takes this and takes it seriously. And is clothed with his righteousness and shining brightly for him. Like that angel shining with his glory and letting glory be revealed to all the world. When his bride is ready, his glory will shine forth, his word will go forth, and his gospel will go to all the world. And when the gospel goes to all the world, people will be coming out of Babylon. But those who refuse to come out of Babylon, what will they do? They'll get angry, and they'll persecute the messengers. And enforce their way more and more. And then persecution... And then God comes with his deliverance. That's all that's left. Not much left that take place. But it's all dependent on the bride getting ready. That's what he's waiting for. He could have come long before this. He keeps on heating up the food there in the, in the, in the supper. Waiting for us. Keeps that microwave going, waiting for us. Waiting on God's people to surrender all. Not to keep trying. Not to try harder. But to surrender. To give up. And let God work in us and out of us. And then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Is that the supper you want to eat from? Do you want to sit with him and eat with him at his table and banquet with him? What do you think he'll be serving? Do you think he'll have pork chops? At the dinner? Do you think he'll have lobster? 
You think there'll be clams there? Will there be beer and fermenting, rotting grains or rotting grapes? Or do you think fruit from the tree of life? Water from the throne of God. Again, all of Daniel and Revelation is prophetic. Even the stories, the true stories, the history, historical stories of Daniel and the lion's den and all like that have prophetic implications as well, including Daniel chapter 1, where this whole process started, where he chose not to eat of the king's dainties, give us vegetables and water to drink, and they were found ten times brighter. Their mind was clear, not deceived with sorceries and drugs. Their mind was clear, their bodies were healthier, and then after the whole time of going through the process and the king's preparation, comes before the king for their testing, and proved what was it, 10 times or whatever, smarter and brighter and better than all the other, not only the students, but everyone else in the kingdom. Wants our minds to be clear, our bodies to be filled with the temples of the Holy Spirit. And he wants us to treat God's body rightfully. I mean, it's all going to just turn to dust anyway and be changed when we go up into the heavens anyway. So it's not for long life per se, but it's for long service. So we can be healthy and happy serving the Lord and being fruitful and strong in his work. Take care of what he has lent to us to use as his tool, as his instruments for spreading his gospel, for spreading his truth. And it's in preparation for what we're going to eat there. Might as well get used to it now. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And I fell at his feet and worshipped him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant of your own brethren who have the testimony of Yeshua. Worship God. For the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. So having the testimony of Yeshua is understanding prophecy, understanding prophecy correctly. The gifts of the Spirit, including the gift of prophecy, to discern it properly, to listen to God's word, and to hear him speak to our souls. Verse 11, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and him who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. Who's that? Who's coming on this white horse? That's Yeshua. Yeshua's coming. And so again, if it's chronological, well, then he's come so many times already. <laughs> he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. But it's just repeating itself. And again, when he comes, he's destroying the wicked. He's coming to make war. He's coming to deliver his people. Hallelujah. You have delivered us. You've judged Babylon. And so he comes and he does his war. He makes war. Freddy's River dried up. The whole support system dried up. Kings of the earth have turned on Babylon. The merchants are wailing and backing off and not purchasing anymore. As it collapses, it falls and prepares the way for the king of the east, to come from the east, like lightning shining from the east and goeth to the west, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. 
Then verse 13, and he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, king of kings, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses also. He's on a white horse. They're coming on white horses. All of heaven is emptied out, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. What's the sharp sword? The word of God. That's what he's called, the word of God. And with the word of God, he judges. We will be judged by the word of God. We will be judged by the testimony. We will be judged by the laws of God. Right and wrong is explained in the word of God. The whole word of God. Not just small 25% or 20% of the, just the second part, the last part. The whole word of God. He comes riding with all his angels with him, coming in his deliverance to take his people to heaven. The Lord himself does ascend with all his angels and gather us from one end of the earth to the other. We'll meet him in the air and he judges the wicked, makes war upon the wicked simultaneously. And again, we've seen that over and over again. And here again, this chapter repeating itself. Verse 15, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the way has been prepared for the king, who's over all the other kings, who's coming, and his deliverance, the Lord over all. He's coming, his robe dipped in blood, his sacrifice for us, that he died for our sins. He's paid the price for us. That Satan has no right over us anymore because Yeshua has dipped his clothes in blood, his own blood that he shed for us. Seated at the right hand of the Father, coming in majesty and glory to deliver his people. Treading the wine press. As we read in Revelation uh, 14, I think it was, where the, again, the harvest, he harvests, goes, puts in the harvest and harvests and brings it into his barn and then harvests again, puts in a sickle a second time and treads down the wine until it comes up to the horse's bridles. And how many times does it continue to destroy the wicked? Or is it just repeating itself? It's obviously repeating itself. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Two suppers. The supper, the marriage supper of the lamb or the supper of the birds. Which one do you want to participate in? In the marriage supper of the lamb, we get to eat. In the marriage supper of the birds, or the supper of the birds, the great of the great God, the supper of the great God, the birds get to eat. And they get to eat us. Or they get to eat the wicked. So we get to choose now today which supper we want to be in, which supper we want to be a part of. Whether to feast with God or to be feasted upon. And we just read that he comes, the rod of iron. Well, interesting in Daniel chapter 2, the last power. Last metal in the statue is iron. Claiming to be iron, 
But Yeshua comes and he rules the nations with a rod of iron. Again, two suppers, two different irons, two different cities, Babylon and the New Jerusalem, a lamb and a beast, two marks, mark of the beast and the mark or seal of God. Constant counterfeits, constant comparison, constant contrast. There's only two sides. Which side are we going to be on? We're either fully for the Lord or we're on the devil's side. It only took one sin on Adam and Eve's part. The young ruler who came to Yeshua, what must I do to be saved? One thing thou lackest. One thing. One foot still in Babylon. One toe still in Babylon. Come out of her, my people. God invites us to come out, to come to his glorious light, to be illuminated with his glory, be covered with his righteous robe that was dipped in blood, to be forgiven, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to have righteous acts lived out of us. Righteous acts includes obeying the word of God. Righteous acts includes being loving and kind and merciful and forgiving and patient. He will manifest his acts out of us as we surrender to him. He loves his bride. Those who refuse will be eaten by birds. So they're eaten by the beast, they're burned with fire, and then they're eaten by birds. I don't know how, how can you do all those things. <laughs> if it's chronological, if it's all in order and not repeating. Verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and the flesh of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Right, so the birds are going to eat them all. So it's all destroyed at his coming, at the coming of the Lord when he comes with all his angels, comes on the clouds, comes on his white horse, comes to deliver his people. The wicked are destroyed, eaten, burned up. Killed, devoured with the brightness of his coming. So many different ways the Bible describes it. Simultaneously. All people. Everyone, there's no one left. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in the presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now we just read that they all get eaten by birds. How do they make war? Again, it's not chronological. Revelation is topical. He explains the topic to its end and then he goes back with more details. Over and over and over again. And here's just another example of that. Even within the same chapter. He describes how they end. And then he said, but just before the end, he didn't say that, but basically that's what he's saying. So before the end, they make war. And how do they make war? He's coming to make war again on them. And how are they making war on him? This is the Armageddon. How are they making war on him? They can't get to him. What you've done to the least of them, my brethren, you've done to me. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? How am I persecuting you? Who am I persecuting? By going to Damascus and arresting my disciples. 
So they make war on God's people, they persecute God's people, and thus, again now here he's just kind of summarizing it, conclusion, repeating it and just concluding it in very tight. So they go make war, and he delivers them, and he captures them, and he burns them. After they were eaten and burned and eaten again, so eaten by the beast, burned, eaten by the birds, and now burned again. <laughs> if you try and make it chronological, if you try and make it literal and chronological, you've got a very fanciful movie that'll sell maybe millions and make a nice, interesting book, but it would not be biblical truth. Verse 21, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with the flesh. Yeah, it's chronological. They're killed again now, and eaten again now. But it's just the emphasis, like saying three times, one hour, one hour, one hour. It's just the emphasis. God comes and he will deliver us. Now for us, we sit comfortably in this day and age. We don't feel that need for that deliverance like that. But you look at the majority of Earth's history, under, especially the Dark Ages, under persecution continually, the racks and the, and the burnings and, and the, the dipping in the water and the hardships and the sickness and the disease and the ignorance and having to pay to get your forgiveness of sins and being oppressed in every way, shape, or form. Well, the leaders are going around in purple and scarlet and gold and precious stones crying out for deliverance. And God's word is giving the assurance over and over again. Deliverance is coming. Deliverance is coming. Deliverance is coming. Don't worry. I am coming back. I will pay them back. I will deliver you. I will set you free. I will bring about justice. I will bring about judgment. They will not get away with it forever and ever. It's such an important, strong theme in the scriptures, thus it's repeated over and over and over again. And again, as we've seen in this section, Revelation 18, 19, like in all the other sections, it concludes, it comes to a highlight, it comes to a pinnacle at the coming of the Lord, at his second coming. As we've seen in all the chapters thus far, all the sections thus far, Daniel 2 ended there, Daniel 7 ended there, 8 and 9 ended there, 10 through 12 ended there, Revelation 2 and 3 ended there. They all end at the coming of the Lord. They've all been repeating themselves, repeating themselves, until we got to chapter 12 of Revelation. Then it laser focuses just on the last days and takes us to the Lord's coming. Which leaves us with only two sections left. And so he has come. The wicked are destroyed. They're all eaten. They're all burned many times over. And God has come with his Horses on his horse with all of his angels. All of heaven is emptied out. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. The dead in Messiah will rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will also be. He takes us there. And that begins our next section. Next week. What happens next? after he comes, after he destroys the wicked, after he takes us to heaven. That will be our topic next week in a thousand years. And we go to the final two stages of Daniel Revelation prophecies. But all of them so far have ended right at this point.
emphasis and repeating itself, and now we'll move forward from there, starting next week. In the meantime, for us tonight, God wants to use us to illuminate the world with his glory, for his bride to get serious, to shine for him, to warn the world, to prepare the world, to reveal God in all of his glory and all of his goodness, and to expose the beast, the, the false prophet, the, the, the woman riding on the beast, Babylon, to warn the world of its sorceries and its deceptions, its lies that it's perpetuated and infiltrated and has caused a falling away back, calling us to shine brightly for him. If you want to be his bride, you want to be part of that lamb's, the marriage supper of the lamb. And in a moment when we pray, it's got to seal you, seal your reservation there with him. If there's some area of your life where you're still in Babylon, still some confusion, some, still some confusion of doctrine, still some area in your life that's hypocritical, that doesn't match the word of God, still living like the world in some area, maybe godly most of the time, but some area, some area of mixing truth and error, you want to surrender that to the Lord. In a moment when we pray, give that over to him. Third, if there's some aspect of sin still in your life, some uncleanness, some disobedience, some area you know is wrong and you're doing it anyway, some area you know you should be doing and you're not doing, choosing rebelliously, willfully, knowledge, choosing to not obey or to disobey God, God's calling us out of that Babylon as well. Come out of Babylon, my people. May God cleanse your robe. Make it pure and white. Confess the sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let him cleanse you. Let him dip you in his blood, cover you in his blood. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his sacrifice. Receive his redemption. Fourth, if you need the Holy Spirit to empower you for righteous acts to come out of you, to live right, to do right, to be loving, to be kind, to have a burden and passion for souls, to go from just living this life here, being on fire for God and witnessing for him. And when we pray in a moment, let God fill you with his spirit and empower you with his righteous acts the righteous acts of the saints. So if any of those areas apply to you or something else, let us pray together and let God do his mighty work. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we thank for your word and we thank for your truth. Live in us and out of us for your honor and for your glory. Thank you for your cleansing. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your final judgment that will take place on the wicked. Use us in warning the wicked so that there'll be less of them that others will come out of Babylon. Bring us out and bring others out as well. Thank you for preparing the supper for us. Fill us with your spirit and cleanse us. Prepare us for that wedding with you. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.